Um, well, hey, good morning, family. Um, on behalf of my wife, Ty, and I, I do just want to thank you for allowing us the privilege of being a part of your family over the last year. Um, we did begin our uh, time here 52 weeks ago. Last VBS was our first week. Um, and so uh, just want to thank you um, for the support that you've given us over the last year, um, as well as thank you in advance for uh, some of the gifts that some of you have already left out in the foyer. Um, we do appreciate your support, your prayers. Um, it has been a year of many things for us in ministry. We have learned an incredible amount, um, but we have also had an opportunity to heal. Um, and um, we just want to thank you for being a family that allows people to have space to do that, to be able to heal and to learn. Um, so thanks for being you. Um, thank you for um, allowing me the grace to um, learn here. This is my second ministry position, and so I'm still learning a ton about what it means to mess up as a pastor. And so um, I just really appreciate um, how you guys have walked alongside my family. Um, so thank you so much. It's, it's, it's meaningful to us, but it's also meaningful to those people who are visiting today and who will visit next week and who are going to visit indefinitely. It is good that you are good. You, you know what I'm saying? Are you with me? Like it's, it, it's good, not just because it's, it's proper to be nice to people, but the ripple effects of the kindness and the welcoming environment of this church is going out. For us, it's going out to Peoria, um, but it goes out all over the place. So, so don't stop, please. You know, it, it, it's meaningful, um, and not just for the sake of being nice, but it's meaningful for the kingdom. Um, so, thanks for being you. Um, would you turn to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians? It's one of Paul's letters to a church in Ephesus. Um, so we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts, Romans, and then the books get a lot smaller. Um, and the reason they are is because they're letters. And a lot of times when we write letters, we don't write chapters and, and pages and pages and pages of letters. Um, so that's why they're going to be a bit smaller. It might be hard to find. Um, but we're going to be in chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians. Um, and we're going to talk about, in just a moment, the love of God. Now, if you are familiar with the church at least to maybe some degree, you have heard people in church talk about the love of God, and we, we sing about it, and, and we pray towards it and, and for it, um, and in response to it, we craft sermons and lessons and different teachings around the love of God, um, and, and it gets a lot of attention when we talk about it. Through our speaking of it, we bring it up a lot, and, and there's a reason for that, when we try to name it, we say that the love of God is, is endless. The love of God is perfect. Um, the love of God is transforming. And the list of those words go on and on and on. And the reason that the, that list goes on is because the love of God is eternal. It, it, it's this word, we, we use the word eternal as if to present that there is above time, Above this life, there is this presence and that there is this reality and that there is this condition in this eternity and it is love. And so oftentimes it's hard to describe it, but it's easy to identify it. 
Are you with me there? It, it's, it's hard to like pinpoint it. We talked about this last week with the kingdom of God. It's hard to like, it's hard to, to put words to it, but it is easy to say that's the love of God. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that. But an observation that I made over the last couple of weeks and days preparing for this message is that it's the love of God is the greatest thing that gets the least attention. And I'm going to explain that in just a moment. But that is the burden, that is the thesis, that is the why behind this entire message is that it is the greatest thing that I feel oftentimes gets the least attention. So we're going to be talking about that. But before we do, let's read from the book of Ephesians. Would you stand with me? If you don't have your Bible, we're going to have the words on the screen. Um, we stand to honor and acknowledge that this is the word of God. Um, it's out of reverence to the beauty of these words and this book and what it has done since the time that all of this stuff was actually happening. Um, so let us, re let us read here. Follow along with me. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time. That's important. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Don't let that word scare you. But because of his love for us, there's the word, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here's that phrase again. It is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, it is not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You can grab a seat. Would you pray with me? Lord, we ask that in this moment together that the thoughts of our minds, the words of our mouths, the, the transcribings of our pens, the meditations of our heart would be holy and pleasing to you. Ask that as your word goes out that it would not return void, but that these words that have been read millions of times over by the church around the world that you would use it hundreds of years after it was originally written to impact our lives today. Lord, we believe that you will do this. We believe that this is true for us. Lord, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm excited for this morning. I've never preached next to a parrot, so this will be fun. Um, I, I want to tell you a story about someone named AJ. It was not the person who was drumming. Uh, by the way, AJ, I don't know if you're in here, but you did awesome. You did awesome. Um, I wasn't, at his age, I wasn't even good at tying my shoes, right? So, so that's awesome. Thank you for sharing your gifts with us this morning. 
but I want to tell you about AJ, and, and what does AJ stand for? It stands for Average Joe or Average Josephine, right? Um, AJ, I want to give you the snapshot of AJ's life. Growing up, AJ had access to the internet. AJ had a television, a couple magazine subscriptions. AJ did go to college, but we're going to talk about why that was a problem for AJ in just a minute. AJ got a job, and that entire time, AJ went to church. So out of that list of things, you probably have a lot of those things in common with AJ. Average Joe, average Josephine. Now, when AJ was growing up through high school, he had a couple of, he or she, right, had a couple of, of magazine subscriptions, and, and AJ was on social media, and, and AJ watched TV and movies and shows, and, and this is what AJ found, was that there were these two competing, not arguments, but theories or presentations to AJ What A.J. found, what Average Joe or Average Josephine found, was that at one time, people, sources, thought that A.J. should look a certain way. Now, we're talking about body image, right? Should look a certain way, and that that A.J. should go through these motions and take these pills and and go through these diets and regimens to look a certain way and at the same exact time AJ heard that you're fine just the way that you are AJ heard this just as much as AJ heard this so that was some tension for AJ you could imagine AJ finishes high school and and AJ is thinking about going to college but at the same exact time that AJ hears about the value of getting an education AJ hears about college dropouts like Mark Zuckerberg and Kanye West, who are millionaires, billionaires for Zuck. And AJ says, well, why should I go to college? And if I should go to college, what should I study if these people can make it without college? And so you can imagine the tension between hearing this message just as much as this one. And when AJ goes to church... AJ hears a lot of conflicting messages. Maybe you could imagine. Growing up in church, AJ, average Joe, average Josephine, would would go to church and would be in Sunday school and youth group and then, you know, know, obviously didn't go to church for the four years of college, right? Um, Which is not true. People don't don't do that. Um, But a lot of times there were these conflicting, you can't do, you can do. But if you do, then you're still forgiven. But you still shouldn't do it, but you're still forgiven anyways. But make sure you don't do this. You could imagine the conflict. And maybe you have a lot more in common with AJ than you thought, beyond magazines and TV and Internet, jobs, degrees. Maybe you have a lot more in common with AJ than you thought. Average Joe, average Josephine. And so all of a sudden, AJ is in church, And here's a message about the love of God and reflects on AJ's life. AJ's reflecting on their life. And they realize that they haven't been living in a consistent reality, but that they have been living in a cycle. And this morning we call that cycle the rat race. 
peace. Have you heard that phrase before? It's a cycle of agenda disruption. Do this, don't do that. Or you should look like this, but if you don't, it's okay because you can still look like this. And it goes on and on and on. And agenda disruption is the shortest. I, I, I had a, a two sentences and I tried to shrink that down into what the rat race actually is. And to be involved in that cycle of what is actually going on, it is a million different people telling you a million different things about what you should be, what you should be experiencing, how you should look, agenda disruption, which leads to eventually you making a decision on what you want to achieve, what you want to do. And so, because we're so pragmatic, we make lists and milestones and check marks about what I need to do to get from where I am now to where I have decided I actually want to be at some point. Are you still with me? And so whether it's a degree or not a degree, whether it's a body image or not another body image, whether it is going to church or stop going to church, whether it is believing in this church stuff or not believing in this church stuff, we make lists and milestones and check marks and we know exactly what to do to achieve those but the importance is that end goal you finally settle on something and then you identify it and then everything else gets washed away and you figure out exactly what you need to do to get there and you are laser focused and that's what AJ was now eventually once you kind of lay out that the check marks the roadmap, you all of a sudden realize that there are people in your way. <laughs> now, whether it is intentionally or unintentionally, people are in your way of that. And so all of a sudden, we start using the phrase, I need to look out for number one. And who's number one? Me. Numero uno for you bilingual folks. And so when you face opposition, it all of a sudden becomes a competition. You're so laser focused on this, and yet you realize that there are over 7 billion people on the planet who are also laser focused on something else. And if you think that those things are not going to intersect, you are out of your mind. So how do we respond? Well, we run people over and we look out for numero uno and we burn a lot of bridges, but we're laser focused. Remember, we're laser focused because of agenda disruption and it was a mess just to get there in the first place. And so then you achieve and you earn and you gain. And AJ, in retirement, realizes the cycle that he was in all along. It was the rat race. Now, if you're a human, then you're in it, whether you like it or not. You're in it. Are you participating in it? That's a different question, but you're in it. You see it. And you always have a temptation on whether you're going to jump in the cycle 
or whether you're going to pick another option. So Paul states that this cycle, this rat race, is deserving of that W word that I don't want you to be afraid of. But the word is wrath. Go ahead and look at verse 3 for me. Paul says, all of us also lived among them. Who is them? The people who are in the rat race, who are in the cycle. And those first words, all of us were once there. (laughs) That's why it's important. All of us were once also living among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts, the agenda disruption. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. I want to define wrath. I want to ask the question, what is wrath? And I want to do our best to help put words to what wrath is, because that's a heavy word, and that's a charged word, depending on who you're talking to. This is how I want to define wrath, based on the fact that I believe that God is a God of love. Fair? That wrath is whatever happens after we misuse our freedom. Now, this is what I mean. Whatever happens looks a lot different, right? The whatever happens after we misuse our freedom looks a lot different. So I'm not going to try to put words to that. I'm I'm, going to put words to what our freedom is. We do have a freedom. We are free to decide what we want to say, what we want to do. We are free to choose. We are free to decide and choose what we want to seek, what we want to invest our time and money and resources in. We are free to prioritize whatever we want to prioritize. This is the freedom, not that we've been given by America or the president. This is a freedom that we've been given as human beings created by one creator. Every human on this planet has these freedoms, regardless of the country they live in. And so wrath is actually created by us. If God is a God of love. If God isn't a God of love, then there is this hellfire that's spewing down from the sky. Now, let me remind you, my definition is based off of that God is a God of love and only love. And if wrath holds negative connotation, then a God of love could never create it. Can someone amen that? That must be true. If God is only a God of love, then wrath cannot be created or sent down by God. So wrath must be a reality that is created by us when we misuse the freedoms that we've been given as human beings created by God. Not as American citizens, not as any other citizens of this world. We were created by one creator, and we were given freedoms and rights. So, how do we get out? I'm glad you asked. Pastor Seth, I'm in this cycle. I identify the fact that I am in this rat race. I identify the fact that I am in this cycle. How do I get out? Well, the only way to get out is not seeking something that exists in the rat race, which is often what we do. We, we look back within the cycle 
and we say, what is something in here that can get me out of here? Well, how silly is that? How foolish is that? If you're getting attacked by a shark, you don't look for another shark to save you. So we need to look somewhere else. Pastor Seth, where should we look? I would encourage you to just look outside of the life that you have been stuck in. And realize that that same creator that created you with all of those freedoms has presented another option. Has presented another option. If we're going to be saved by the patterns of this world, then something otherworldly needs to do the saving. And so, we find verses 4 and 5. But because of his great love for us. God, the one who created you, with all of those freedoms, he is rich in mercy. And he made us alive with Christ even when we were stuck in the cycle. Or, as Paul says it, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved from the cycle. There is another option that has been presented. We put the word L in front of it. We call it love. But what I want you to understand is that the love of God that we water down is the other option, the only other option, to get out of that cycle. The love of God is otherworldly. It is countercultural. It doesn't make sense. And there's a host of other things that I'm going to be reading off at the end of this message because I want you to understand that the only way that you're going to get out of any cycle that you find yourself is the love of God, which in verses 4 and 5 is represented by his mercy and his grace. To forgive, to redeem, to restore. While we were still living in the rat race, while we are still living in the rat race, God makes us alive, first by raising his son and then giving an opportunity for us to be joined with his son. Are you with me there? Those who are in Christ are made a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. So there is this other option. There is another option, and that is to receive and accept the free gift that is the love of God. What is the love of God? It is his mercy and grace. How was his mercy and grace shown? By sending his son to live a life of love and sacrifice. Sacrifice to the point of death. He died. He was buried in a tomb. He brought his presence to the dead this lifeless eternity. He brought himself there, experienced it, rose from it, ascended to heaven, therefore filling himself in all places and spaces that you could ever think. And then God says, would you like to be friends with him? <laughs> would you like to have a relationship with that guy, the, the guy who just filled himself in all of this world. And we call Christians people who said yes. The invitation is given to everyone. The gift is free. 
And the only reason people are called Christians is because at some point in their life they said yes to that invitation. That's all it is. So then here's the question. We go back to the observation that I don't, that I feel that God's love is the greatest thing that gets the least attention. And so we ask, why is that? Because that was some really good news that I just tried to present to you. But, and I just gave it a lot of attention with my mouth, right? With my words, verbally. I gave it a lot of, ten- of attention. But why does it not get a lot of attention? Well, well, this is what I mean by that. It's not that the church doesn't give it attention in that it talks about the love of God. I don't think it gets enough attention in the lives of those who follow Christ. Why, Pastor Seth? Because the cycle and the rat race has actually entered the church. Oh my goodness, the walls have fallen. The rat race is here. And this is what it looks like in the church is people trying to earn grace. People trying to earn the love of God. Pastor Seth, why do you say that we try to earn it? Well, what kind of world do you live in? A world where the only way that you get something is if you earn it. Agenda disruption. I am laser focused on what I need, and so I'm going to do whatever I have to do in order to get there. You're in a cycle, and you're so used to having to earn what you're laser-focused on that you go to church, and you hear about this thing that's there for everyone. And even though we hear that it's a free gift for anyone to receive, we still feel like we need to earn it. And we still feel like we need to check certain boxes and fulfill certain duties in order to earn that love of God that is grace and that is mercy and that is redemption and transformation. The thing that we give lip service to all the time. What we have a hard time doing is disconnecting the rat race out there, the wrath that is created out there, and we drag it in here, and we make it a mess in here because we feel like what we're now laser-focused on, we have to earn. Good luck earning that. Is there such thing as a professional Christian? No. Do professional football players still drop passes? Yes. Do professional Chicago Cubs shortstops in 2004 still miss ground balls? Yes. Do professional chefs still cut their fingers from time to time? Yes. So can a professional Christian still have a desire of the flesh? Yes. You can be going to church You can check every single box that you want to. Can you still have a desire of the flesh? Absolutely. Because professionals still mess up. So what do we do with that? Well, we have to ask a question. You need to regularly decide where your justification is going to come from. It's something that every single Christian and really every single person subconsciously makes this decision. Once again, we enter back into the cycle the rat race. Where is my justification going to come from? And in the church, here are two realities. It's God 
or it's others. And so we, we peel off another layer and we move a bit deeper into what the rat race looks like in the church. And we realize that what I call dependent affirmation is the most powerful thing that at times draws our seeking eyes away from God and towards something else. This is what I mean by dependent affirmation. It's, oh, this is tough. It, it, it's that we, we glorify others to the point where that other person feels like they are essential to whatever they just did. I don't, I don't care what it is, but we glorify others in such a way to where if that person didn't do exactly what they did, that what they did could have never been done. Now, unless any of you are Jesus, that's not, it's not true. And so we have this thing called dependent affirmation floating around the church. And what are our cravings? What are our sinful desires? It's that dependent affirmation. And we say, this Sunday school class could have never happened unless you taught it. Or we would have never had a complete church board unless you were on it. Or, or we could have never had someone who could play in the worship team or serve communion or volunteer for VBS unless you, you did it. And our sinful desire craves after that. This isn't to pick on AJ, but I just gave him affirmation. I patted him on the back. He did such a great thing this morning playing the drums. But could someone else play drums? AJ, have you seen someone else play drums? This is a professional drummer who has seen someone else play drums. Our sinful desire, what Paul talks about, that is what we crave after. And so we jump back into the cycle here in this building. Increased dependent affirmation from others often decreases our desire to seek God. Deep, irreconcilable feelings that you are directly responsible for someone's salvation or walk with Christ often decreases our desires to seek God. If your own walk with Christ, your peace, and or your trust is being dictated by the actions of other people, then that will often decrease your desire to be laser-focused on God rather than something else. So, Pastor Seth, does an increase in my desire to seek God and experience that love decrease my needs, desires, and responsibilities to serve others? That's a logical and important question, and the answer is no. This is what I want to present to you this morning. That if you are laser focused on the love of God, first by receiving that gift and then focusing on it, it will refine your love for others in ways that you could not believe. And you will find that you will be able to do more for others than you ever thought you could because it's not you working, it's God working inside of you. But what are you laser focused on? That's the question. If it's others or yourself or a degree or some kind of image, you'll never do it. The agendas will disrupt each other. But your love for God and your love for others becomes refined, not perfected necessarily, but refined when you accept that gift 
and your love for neighbor becomes a thing that you never thought could have existed. Your, your love for neighbor goes beyond, you just moved in, here's a pie. Or can I borrow a cup of sugar? Or, um, you know, I'm not going to get mad that you mowed some of my lawn. Your love for neighbor explodes. And you realize that there are so many different ways where you can do the greatest commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. And I want to present to you this before we close. That if you are always, always, always questioning God, then you are actually questioning your failed attempts to earn grace and love. And I want to say that. I know this is my last sermon. I'm probably blowing it, right? But, you know, I, I want you to understand. Is it, is it cool to question God for a moment? Absolutely. But if you find yourself in the pattern of questioning him time and time and time and time again, it's probably because you're laser focused on the wrong thing. And it's probably because your attempts of trying to earn the free gift of grace have failed because you can't earn it. I would present to you that the more you try and earn it, the less you actually experience it. Because it's not, it is just not something that you can earn. It's different than a college degree. It's different than advancement in a job. It's different. It just has to be. Because it's otherworldly, guys. So it's the love of God that if you are a Christian, this is what we're trying to seek, right? This is what we're trying to remind ourselves of the truths and of the graces that are attached to the love of God. But hey, maybe you're here and this is your first time in a church or one of your first times or I don't know your story, but you matter. And there is a gift that is for you to receive. If you're in a cycle, if you're in a rat race and you haven't said, I want to be laser focused on something else, today could be your day. When you accept the love of God, that is God forgiving you, right? It's not two separate prayers. It's not two separate things. When you accept the gift of grace and the love of God, this is you focusing yourself on something different, choosing another option than the rat race. And it's this love of God that I want to say a few statements for. I'd like to pray. We'll have a time of communion. And this last year wasn't worth it unless you pray for me and Ty. So what is the love of God? Well, it is dependent of nothing. You guys get that? It don't matter what you do. What is the love of God? It is made perfect when you are at your weakest moments in life. That is when it is perfected. It surpasses wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. What is the love of God? It is a perfect peace in places where you once thought there could be no peace. What is the love of God? It is when a way is made in a place where you once thought that there could be no way. What is the love of God? It is the eternal condition that saves humanity when we are at our worst. How crazy is that? Is that while we were still living in our transgressions, there was this love that was saving us without us even knowing it. Maybe this morning you just learned that for the first time. What is the love of God? It is the constant presence that reminds you that God is near. 
what is the love of God? If accepted, if that free gift is received, it's forgiving, it's redirecting, and it's restoring. You could be going down this path, laser, oh, it's over here, I forgot. You could be laser focused on this thing, understanding that you're in a cycle that's always going to get you closer and then farther, because that's what cycles do, right? Closer and farther. And then you learn of this free gift that's there for really anyone to receive, and, and then you make a decision to receive it and choose to re-laser focus yourself, and then all of a sudden you're twisted around, and there's this path that doesn't make sense, but the one who created you, now for you, it feels like is right here. And there is this God that is walking with you and helping you along and restoring you. That is the love of God. So, what do we do? We take a next step. Everyone can take a next step this morning. And on your next step cards, at the bottom of that rectangular piece of paper that you were given when you walked in this morning, on the back of the connection card is a next step card. On the back of the next step card is the connection card. Are we getting this? Good. Now, here's the irony in the entire thing. There are a few boxes that you can check. Forgive me. But there are two next steps. One reads this. I want to further explore my faith and relationship with Jesus. Another way you can say that. I want to further understand and explore what is the love of God. There's another next step that you can take. And it reads something like this. I am deciding to follow Christ for the first time. Another way you can say that is like this. I am deciding to receive the free gift of God's love for the very first time. Maybe you've never understood it like how I've just presented it to you. So maybe today you can decide for the first time that that's what you want. Go ahead and check whichever box applies to you. In a moment, we're going to take our offering, and, and if you could take that card and drop it in the plate as it passes by, this is what's going to happen. Um, we're not going to send those. You know how like, we send letters to Santa? We don't just kind of forget about those. The pastoral team at this church looks at those every Monday, and then throughout that week, and we follow up with you, and we contact you, because we want to hear more of your story. What you're about to do with that piece of paper is step one. It's just the next step. And brother, sister, there are so many other steps to take. But it's so beautiful because you're laser focused on something else. If you're serving communion this morning, I would ask that you prepare yourself once you're ready. If you would come forward, get ready to serve our people this morning as we approach a table that forgives. And as we all prepare our hearts and minds for this moment, I'm actually going to read a prayer from Paul a few chapters later. Um, this is a prayer that Paul writes in his letter to the church in Ephesus. And if you would allow me to pray this over you, um, we can only imagine that this is a prayer that has been prayed over countless people since it was written. So if you would receive this as a moment for us to enter into this time of communion, after I pray, feel free to come when you're ready.
For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in the love of God, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp and further explore and understand how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of God. And to know that this love that you may have just received for the first time surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power and love that is in that is at work within you to him be the glory in the church and this church and every church around the world and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen come and eat with me